0: Welcome to the Logically Faithful Podcast. This podcast is created to point seekers towards the beautiful, the good, and the true, and to act on what gives liberty, equality, and justice for all. This podcast is created to give listeners a taste of the beautiful, cultivate an affection for the good, and to provide rational path to the true, helping to bring justice, equality, and liberty to our society. Your host is Kaldun Swice. Associate Professor of Philosophy at the City Colleges of Chicago and Tutor of Philosophy with Oxford University.
1: All right. Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Logically Faithful Podcast. I appreciate you being with me again. I'm excited that I have Ken Davis with us today. Uh, I met Ken Davis back in Georgia in November at the mind-blowing Score Conference, which revolutionized how I did public speaking. I didn't know I had so much to improve <laughs> till I was there with Ken. Not only did he knock my socks off and make me laugh till I hurt, uh, the, way, the way he says it, when it actually is true, but he also uh, punched me in the gut. Uh, theoretically speaking, uh, to just put, <laughs> put, put me where I am, to tell me, "Hey, Caldoon you got to improve on this." And uh, I never had somebody tell me that before. in the way he did it, so it was very, very t- exciting uh, ex- opportunity. And I strongly recommend that to you. Anyway, Ken, welcome.
2: Well, it's great to be with you. And uh, I just want your listeners to know that I did not punch you in the gut, uh, <laughs> even though that's a fairly good-sized target. I did not. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And I'm sure I gave you my Apple motivation too. Uh, but let me give you your proper introductions here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Ken is a best-selling author, frequent radio and television guest, and one of the country's most sought-after inspirational and motivational speakers. Ken's mixture of side-splitting humor and inspiration delights and enriches audiences of all ages. His books have been uh, received national ac- critical acclaim, and he has... Given the keynote, been the keynote speaker for hundreds of major corporate and faith-based events. As president of Dynamic Communications International, he teaches speaking skills to corporate executives and ministry professionals, which I need more of now. Uh, Ken's daily radio show, Lighten Up, which I strongly recommend, by the way, is heard on over 1,500 stations in the United States and around the world. Again Ken it's an honor that you'll take some time to be with us today. Uh
2: it is my pleasure to be with you.
1: Uh Ken um so what are you up to now uh, why what are you doing uh, in these days and let's go to the heart of it why do you do what you do.
2: Well uh, I would uh, I have an aversion I'll just start a little bit backward. I have an aversion to standing in the line at the airport and having people uh, touch me to make sure that I am not carrying anything. <laughs> I have an aversion to sitting in a tight seat on, on the airplane. Uh, what I love doing is standing in front of people and making a presentation that calls them to action.
3: Mm.
2: Uh, I have a statement that I make, that communication doesn't happen until the people you're communicating with take action. You can entertain people, and they don't have to take action.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you can, um, uh, y- you know, you can show your knowledge. You can give them information, and they don't have to take action. But real communication only takes when people take action.
3: Okay.
2: And over the years, I've watched what I do change lives for the positive, make people's lives better. The day that that stops, I stop. Mm. Um, so I'm not going to do as much as I've done before. Your listeners don't know this, but I'm even though I run triathlons and do all that stuff, I'm 70 years old, wow. and I love running, I love climbing, I love jumping out of airplanes, I just don't want to ride on them anymore.
1: <laughs> That's great, Ken. Well, you're looking great, by the way. Uh, Thank you uh, very much. Uh, okay. Uh, now, with our show, the one we're doing here with The Logically Faithful, is focused on uh, inspiring people to think deeper. And to cultivate an affection for the good, the true, and the beautiful. Uh, Now, you can cultivate the affection for that and understand it in profound ways. But if you're not able to articulate it in a way that makes sense, that connects to people, you're just speaking to nobody or speaking hot air. Uh, So going to the question here, what makes a talk successful? How can we communicate uh, in a general sense successfully to connect to people? Is there a general type of uh, pr- uh, paradigm that we can follow as we get more specific?
2: Well, it goes back to the very essence of what you're doing. I think you start by thinking deeper. Okay, that that's the first. I, I want to congratulate you in a society that really sometimes disparages thinking deeper to be one who promotes thinking that promotes looking at what you're going to do, but here's what I believe makes a successful talk by definition. Number one, it goes somewhere. Hmm. In other words, it has an objective. You know this from attending our conference. You're moving people to some action. You are enabling people to accomplish something. There is a specific objective for the communication. And that objective is not that you just finish the talk or that people like you or that you make them laugh, but in some way, you move them to an action. And in my case, it's an action that will empower them or impact their lives in a positive way. That's one of the first things that's part of a successful talk. Secondly, Mm -hmm. the delivery of that talk, rationally, from a thinking perspective, Mm -hmm. leads people to that objective. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes people have an objective, they get lost on the way, follow some rabbit trail, and never get to it. Or their presentation is illogical. It doesn't lead people to the objective. Mm. So secondly, the presentation of the talk leads to the objective. You and I talk about philosophy, you present me your philosophy, then I want to hear the reasonable path that leads to why you think what you think okay and that's the same way with communication third good communication is engaging it has something that makes people want to listen even more than the object not even more but in addition to the objective so it's fun or it is entertaining or it is awe-inspiring it contains the kinds of stories that capture people's heart because even in philosophy The deep thinking is a combination of heart and head.
1: Well, that concludes my part one of the interview with Ken Davis. If you're interested in more and I have whet your appetite, go ahead and go to part two, which is located in podcast number six.
3: So, so those, those are the, are the three, three essentials. essentials.
1: So we said have an objective, the delivery, and engagement. Yes,
2: yes the, the delivery, delivery that leads, leads to that objective. objective. Okay.
0: Welcome to the Logically Faithful podcast. This podcast is created to point seekers towards the beautiful, the good, and the true, and to act on what gives liberty, equality, and justice for all. This podcast is created to give listeners a taste of the beautiful, cultivate an affection for the good, and to provide rational path to the true, helping to bring justice, equality, and liberty to our society. Your host is Kaldun Swice, Associate Professor of Philosophy at the City Colleges of Chicago and Tutor of Philosophy with Oxford University.
1: Well, welcome back. This is Khaldun. I am continuing my interview with Ken Davis, the amazing communicator (laughs) and head of the score conference which I strongly recommend you look into. Uh, let's go ahead and get started and I appreciate your feedback. And Ken as a philosophy former philosophy uh, major you understand this well. Uh, having these ideas and they become so esoteric for some people uh, they become so um, uh, cerebral that without having that, that emotional or uh, life connection it's hard to uh, that's right uh, the, to, to reach out and draw the line between life and theory. Uh, and that's one of the struggles I've had in teaching philosophy throughout all these years. Um, sometimes students would just roll their eyes talking about Aristotelian ethics, but until I apply it to everyday work, what's happening today, and, and with terrorism worldwide, it becomes uh, difficult to, to 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 make that real for people. Um, yes. So, so I appreciate that, and that engagement aspect is so important of it. So, here's let me move on to the third question here. What are some important questions we can ask ourselves as we prepare? for a major presentation before diverse groups of people?
3: Well, based on the
2: previous question, I would say one of the most important questions, and this is where the deepest thinking comes, Mm. is what is my objective? What really is my objective? You and I both know, as you attended the conference, we spent most of our time providing a template that helps people come up with that objective. Yeah, you guys hammered away at that objective. Yeah, oh my goodness. you, you know, I, I make this statement. Aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Okay? okay? Aim at nothing and you will hit it every single time. But if you know where you're going, you can take anybody with you. And so you have a specific objective. Some people say, well, I have five. Then pick one. Pick one. Or what you might have is five big ideas that lead to a bigger objective. I don't know, but you... you, you if. There's another saying that uh, by a great general and I wish I could remember who the general was who said divide and Conquer do you remember who that was? I do not, but I'm sure Mr. Google will tell me if Yeah, yeah not. divide and conquer okay. and he was talking about military strategy, right? If, if you divide your troops if you divide the power that you have if you divide up the time you have to communicate You dilute what you have, can I give you an illustration that takes it to the heart? please I was in Alaska one time, and I was uh, actually in a hunting camp, and the electricity to this camp was completely supplied by a stream. Okay. The stream was quite narrow, and at one place they had narrowed it even smaller and put a paddle wheel or some kind of turbine there that spun as a result of the power of that stream and created electricity to light the camp. It was power. It was Focused. It was, it was uh, focused power. Hmm. A couple of years later, I went back, and the f- stream had flooded. Rather than it being directed in a narrow channel, it had gone everywhere, and it destroyed the camp. Hmm. Do you see the illustration? When you take the time available, the material available, and focus it to a single objective, there's great power there when you ramble when you just present a bunch of ideas it, it, it's destructive it's destructive to what you're trying to do which is communicate and it's destructive to the desire of the audience to get something of substance because it just goes it just goes everywhere so the, the important questions you ask are what is my objective mm-hmm. now this is going to be exactly like the question you asked before okay. what steps what rationale what uh, stories, what movements will I use to take my audience to that objective? And then finally, what stories can I gather? What um, uh, uh, resources can I put in this that will make people want to listen, that will make it engaging, that will make people want to hear it? What stories will clarify the raw data that I'm trying to get across?
1: this is interesting a little bit of an off-tangent here I remember when I give lectures of philosophy I want to shove so much information in there I, I think I, I don't want them to miss this but by shoving so much I have the fire hydrant effect don't I that's exactly right, right. that's exactly right drink from this uh, water fountain and I'm over yep. here flushing them with a the fire hydrant information and I'm trying to be generous with my information but I don't realize I'm losing everyone
2: that's that's a, there's a real truth to that my friend yeah. uh, and and the human mind is only capable of handling so much. Um, if, if you can be the kind of communicator who leaves people with one major um, change, one major uh, piece of information, uh, it's, it's more than that. One major action that they want to take or one major idea that they want to encompass and grasp, then you have succeeded more than the person who pours out everything and everybody leaves going he was so much smarter than I am
1: (laughs) and then you ask him what did he say (laughs) that's right what did he say
2: stuff that's smarter than I know (laughs) that's
1: right (laughs) oh man I've been there okay let's go on here Uh, what uh, what's why is the conventional wisdom about public uh, public speaking just plain wrong Full of
2: yeah.
1: misconceptions, you know, the yeah. standard models that they give you in, in these uh, speech classes. Yes. Now, let's I, I talk th- about those a little bit.
2: Yeah, I think that the reason they're wrong is they leave out, uh, and again, you notice how we're circling back to this passion that I have for objective all right. the time. Mm-hmm. For instance, the conventional wisdom goes something like this. In preparing a talk, you do your research, you do your study, whatever it might be. Then you kind of accumulate or write down All of the things you want to say
3: Mm
2: -hmm. all of the things (laughs) you want to say and then you list those things in some kind of an order that you're going to make your presentation then you make your presentation
3: right
2: and and really all that is is a is a regurgitation of thoughts or ideas that don't lead anywhere it is like like a fire fire hose hose. it's kind of like like a shotgun And it, it accomplishes the same thing, it blows the audience apart. Now, here, here's here's the antithesis of the conventional wisdom. The antithesis of the conventional wisdom is you do your research, so important. You do your study, whatever it is you're going to do. you And then you gather together all the things you want to say, you list all the things you want to say. Sounds a little like the, the old conventional wisdom, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But here's where it changes. You ask yourself a very important philosophical question that's all about deep thinking. Why? Why do I want to say
3: these things?
2: Then, as a good communicator, you eliminate all those things you listed that don't lead to that objective. The answer to the question why is The answer to the question, how am I going to enrich these people? What is the objective? What is the one main action I want them to take? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: What is the main one thing that I want them to leave here knowing how to do or whatever it might be? And then you eliminate anything that doesn't apply to that. Then you gather the most powerful rationale Mm -hmm. that lead to that objective. You gather stories that will make it clear. And then, uh, this, is the, this is the other part of this that I, uh, that is rarely listed anywhere. Mm. Then you let it ferment. You give life time to work on that. You know, if you've got that bare bones of a speech with the objective and some of the rationale put together and you let it set, guess what happens? You walk into a grocery store and you watch someone do something that isn't rational at all mm-hmm. and you've got your illustration. <laughs> But had you just prepared that speech, the day you're going to give it, and you don't give time and opportunity to work on it, mm-hmm. so many of life's illustrations are, are never given an opportunity to attach themselves to that structure.
1: It's like the bumper sticker that says, see motorcycles. Uh, I, I buy a bike, and now everyone has one. Well, because I'm now looking for it.
2: <laughs> that's right. That's, that's exactly right.
1: That cognitive biases that comes out yeah uh, right and if I'm able to put that in there as a template then start thinking about it throughout the day yep. throughout the weeks it's all yep. no preparation and somebody told me this before and it really helped the more you uh, sweat in practice the less you bleed in battle
2: that's really true that's really true yeah and, and, and I would say that the stage the podium is definitely a battleground mm. and so then we change it to the more you sweat in practice the less you perspire on stage. <laughs>
1: yeah. Bingo. Bingo. Okay. Now let's move to the score method, which I thought mm-hmm. was just brilliant. Uh, let's. Uh, how did you stumble upon it? Was it through your own mistakes, your own fault, or did somebody, did you just kind of illumination come onto you like, like the Buddha? Like, oh, no. oh, I don't <laughs> know how to do it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I had a dream. I had a dream. That's. No, here's here, I didn't really... I guess I didn't really stumble upon it. There were two authors. Both of these people were preachers, by the way, and uh, you say, oh, that eliminates me. No, it doesn't. These are people that have to communicate every single week in front of a critical audience about an esoteric, very (laughs) Uh difficult subject with a lot of resistance. And uh, uh, one of them was, uh, boy, now I've got to remember my sources, uh, Haddon Robinson. And another one was a professor at Trinity University. you remember his name? Lloyd Perry. Oh, okay. And they wrote books. And um, I was amazed at the emphasis in both of these books on speaking with an objective, Uh you know, if for a preacher, it's easy for him to quote seven Bible verses and six or seven platitudes and pile them all together, and then tell people to leave. and And this this was really something different, and it really emphasized the importance that less uh, that le- the importance of the fact that less is better. Hmm. That uh, you know, rather than getting through a whole passage of of scripture, Or in the case of philosophy, rather than presenting the whole case, maybe what you do is present part of the case and then provide opportunity for people. And maybe your whole objective is to get people to read the rest. <laughs> right. You know, um, I had a professor that inspired me like that by, here's how he did it. He would lecture. Mm-hmm. Guess what his objective was? To leave us with the right questions.
3: Okay.
2: When he would finish, his class would be screaming for answers that had been unresolved in the class. And when we raised our hands and and flopping our hands in the air saying, give us the answer to this. Tell me what his response was. I think you know.
1: Look it up yourself.
2: Look it up yourself. Come back next week uh-huh. with the answer. And that is your assignment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So he had succeeded as a communicator, you say, but he didn't convince people as a philosopher. Mm -hmm. He was thinking, he was teaching us to think deeper, to read with a critical eye. And so we had to read people like Anselm and Kant and Mm -hmm. all of these unbelievable people who, and this is what I loved about philosophy. And by the way, just so your listeners know, I didn't major in it. Because you have to have a brain to major in it. Uh, They only let me minor in it. (laughs) Uh, But uh, what I loved, uh, uh, and this is part of my lack of brain. I forgot what I was going to say. What I loved about philosophy was that, um, well, I forgot what I loved about about philosophy. We'll come back to it. It'll spring back.
1: I'm sure it'll come back to you there. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm
2: still learning the process myself. I need to answer your question. So those were the guys that gave me the the, the basic idea. And what we did was develop a template Mm -hmm. that forces people, you you were there, it's painful. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: It forces people with specific blanks and words to fill in those blanks and words to come up with an objective. Now if they ever communicated that way, I'd hunt them down and take them out myself. (laughs) But it does give them the template for it that they can add specific and encouraging and engaging language to that um, that forces them to have that objective. And since they're in a small group and they see how it works with other people,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you watched people in our group, remember this, who mm-hmm. started out and it was painful to watch them try to communicate. Mm-hmm. Because they were never really sure of what they were doing. There was a lack of confidence. Once they gained this idea of having a specific objective, knowing how to put it together, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, when we did our first conference, we didn't know if it worked. But we we videotaped these speeches. People saw the progress, and I said, we're on to something here. And that was 30 years ago, and we're still going.
1: Uh, We can see why it's still going. I remember just... Uh, The grueling part of trying to focus my mind and have my colleagues just critique me. That's what makes a SCORE conference so fascinating, so interesting, and so unique, is that you're not just sitting there in an audience absorbing information uh, uh, innocuously. You're actually engaging in the process. You're up there on the stage. You're the one being critiqued. You're the one holding your skills. um, And you're the one on the fire. Uh, And then, hopefully, the production will come out something uh, more that will produce more light than heat. Hey, I remembered what I loved about philosophy.
3: Yeah,
2: It's not a light subject. Hmm. And in fact, there are people in philosophy who don't belong there. The early philosophers gave their lives for what they believed
3: mm-hmm.
2: and changed the course of human history. Mm-hmm. It's an important it's an important study. It's, it's very important. And the people who belong in there are the people who realize it's important and who are willing to do the deep thinking, the hard work, to come up with what, what they're doing. It's fascinating that we have some philosophies now built on the most tenuous of foundations hmm. that, uh, you know, that reason doesn't really matter. It doesn't have to be reasonable to be true. Well, that's fascinating, isn't it? If you examine that statement, it, it kills itself before it even is born. Go ahead and
1: expand on that since uh, this is something big with my audiences so.
2: Well, well, this is, this is the deal. You know, um, it, uh, if, if part of your philosophy is, uh, for instance, one of the things that fascinated me were ideas like this. We know that in order for us to know, the the, the, the the for me the absolute essence of philosophy is how can I know that you have to start there how can I know
3: mm-hmm.
2: is my thinking reasonable how, how, how can we even function mm-hmm. and at the base of that there are certain assumptions that have to be true they have to be true of uh, the law of identity things are as they are mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, was it Socrates that dealt with it or Plato Plato uh, Shadow, Shadow in the, the cave, cave guy. Who, yeah, that's Plato, right? Plato, Plato. But
1: was Leibniz. But
2: yes, yes. The things are as they are. If things aren't as they are,
3: mm-hmm.
2: well, hello, that's the end of the discussion. There's there's nothing that moves beyond that. If we can't know, then there is no discussion. Another one is the law of uniformity.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That things are as they are wherever you find them. So, if you pass oxygen and or if you combine oxygen and um, uh, hydrogen together in the right formula and pass a spark through it, you get water.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The next time you don't get vinegar. The the next time you don't get a good case of scotch. You get water every single time. Mm-hmm. If that isn't true, our, the discussion is over. We need to have some kind of axioms. right? Yeah. So there is an element of philosophy that says unless we can empirically prove, and uh, unless we can empirically prove something, it can't be true. I deal with this in the faith issues that I cover. Mm-hmm. You know, people deny them because they say they can't be proven. Right. And I and I believe that uh, I can't just go out there and say, well, I believe this is true just because it's a God thing. It's a faith thing. In, in my case, and for, and again, I realize that you have people, um, some faith people, some people that aren't of faith, but here's what I, my belief is that I, can, the only things that I can believe that exist in supernature is I depend on what the scriptures say, okay? Mm-hmm. So, if somebody says my watch is run by demons, I don't buy it, you know? Mm-hmm. But if somebody says Jesus was raised from the dead, I buy it. Mm-hmm. Now, there's an element of philosophy that says this if it cannot be empirically scientifically proven then i can't accept it are you, you following, following me i am and it's a very popular Kay.
1: philosophy that okay
2: listen to me now the law of identity cannot be proven mm-hmm. there is no way to empirically prove that a equals a there is no way to prove that the law of a uniformity is true
3: mm-hmm.
2: well you say well I've done a thousand experiments mm-hmm. what about a thousand one you can't do those experiments into infinity
3: mm-hmm.
2: there's maybe it won't happen the next time well that so the truth of the matter is the very essence of our reason is not empirically provable the essence of what excuse me of what allows us to reason is not proven so I rest on the fact that and and I've based my entire future off into eternity on this
3: mm-hmm.
2: that that uh, there is a supernatural part of this that is often ignored by people. Um, I will I will stay up days at a time discussing with people elements of philosophy that are opposed to what I believe.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But the moment they say you can't depend on reason or there's no such thing as absolutes,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I'm out of there because the discussion is over. There is no discussion after that. When a person says to me, there's no such thing as absolutes, mm-hmm. they've just denied what they just stated. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're cut,
1: philosophically cutting their own throat. If we That's put it. exactly That's right. Right. Right, right. That's exactly yeah, right. They're pulling the foundations from under their own building. Um, yeah, it's, it's a problem. It's a problem in philosophy. It's a problem in epistemology. And when you are communicating with people, if you don't have a basic foundation of agreement yes. with each other, uh, how could you even move forward? Yeah. Uh, now, unless, let me let me show
2: you how process. this applies to what we're talking about. Yeah. Please. I wrote a book years ago called How to Speak to Youth and Keep Them Awake at the Same Time. I was working with youth at the time. And, of course, their, their time, uh, what do you call that, their time attention or time span of brain what do you what do you call that
1: attention attention
2: span thank you my producer has a bigger brain than me their attention span is about a nanosecond Hmm. so I wrote this book on how you can hold their attention communicate with them uh, without making them fall asleep and one of the elements I brought into there because I had already discovered and began to practice the score process Hmm. was the importance of speaking with an objective so i had a friend who who wrote a national magazine and he did a critique of the book and he said the book was fabulous except for this part where it said you have to speak with an objective he said that's ridiculous in youth work and it's ridiculous in anything so i met with him and i said tell me what you you were talking about that Mm -hmm. and he said uh well uh, a lot of great speakers spoke without objective And I said, name one, and he could not name one. He went all the way from Jesus to some of the great philosophers. Right. He couldn't name one. Hmm. They all spoke with specific objective, especially if they were. Forgive me for going back to this because I love it. Deep thinkers, right? Okay, so, uh, I he said, I said, well, give me an example then of a talk that would not that would not have an objective. Mm-hmm. And this is a friendly conversation between two people thinking about this idea he said well sometimes you're just giving information now let's go back to the idea about painting yourself into a philosophical court
3: mm-hmm.
2: he said sometimes you're just giving information and I ask him a one-word question why
3: mm-hmm.
2: he can't answer me if he gives me an answer mm-hmm. He's giving me the objective for the, giving the information. Exactly. Yes. And if he says there is no reason for giving the information, mm-hmm. then there's no reason for giving the talk.
1: Amen to that.
2: If I, <laughs> if I may. Does that mean we're done now when you okay. said amen? Is no. no. Oh,
1: we got a little bit more. Just a little <laughs> bit more to <adult>. go. <laughs> now, you've already answered a lot of these questions I have set up here. But let me let me jump to some of these uh, as we move on. Uh, roadblocks uh let's see. We got that. Yeah. Talking to the roadblocks uh, ultimate questions of philosophy we, we touched on some of those yep. some minor Kim- topics like you know the nature of god the meaning of existence etc.
2: Uh, I, I would love you, to, but I would love to do this. Yeah, I would love to talk about up. number 11.
1: Okay, let's jump to it. Number 11, all right. How does one avoid using speaking methodologies as a tool to manipulate one's audiences? Matter of fact, I, was, uh, I do a class on logic, which talks about the manipulation that's being used in the media, religion, and uh, social enterprises. Uh, for example, the black vote, the white vote, the woman's vote. And people actually vote in chunks. They don't realize it, but they do go into a type of group think or they just believe what people tell them, and the the political enterprise uses that to their advantage. So Billy Graham, who I highly respect, has pre-planned people to walk down during his crusades when he gives the invitation. And I was shocked when I read this as a Christian. How could you manipulate people like that? But then I started to reflect on it. Wait a minute. It is a type of uh, a way to get people off their behinds, to, uh-huh. to engage, and then he's trying to get people to do that. Yeah, how does one avoid using these types of methods to manipulate people in your audience or in your group? So okay, first yeah, that. I love this.
2: I love this when you when you when you posted this question, i I love this question because I have my own philosophy on this mm. and and here it is in a nutshell. all communication
3: mm.
2: is manipulation. okay, And so it's on. either. It's either based on truth, Mm -hmm. or it's based on uh, selfish, you know, something to get something for yourself. Mm -hmm. But all communication is, is trying to get people to take some action. That is manipulation, but not manipulation in the worst sense of the word. Manipulation in the worst sense of the word is getting people to take an action that will not benefit them But benefit you
1: that's the negative connotation, right? Yes. Yes. Now.
2: Now let's go back to the Billy Graham thing I actually spoke for him. Did you on several occasions? Yes, okay, and my memory of that Situation was he would announce from the stage that there were people moving with them. Hmm that would be there with them when they got to the front so it wasn't a um deceptive kind of thing in my remembering this Mm -hmm. he would say from the from that uh platform he was on Mm -hmm. that there were people that were moving with that they wouldn't be alone there were people moving with them Mm -hmm. that would join them at the front and in fact, there were volunteers designed just to do that—to handle whatever whatever uh, those people were dealing with in their spiritual lives when they got to the front. Um, when when I walk into a room uh, before I do a talk, I arrange the room so that people can uh, better be focused just on me. If there's distracting stuff behind me, I eliminate it.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: when when I in some of my faith-based situations, I would have people stand if I wanted them to respond in some way, mm-hmm. simply so that they could move out easier and not have to stand up and walk past people who were sitting down. Okay. All of those are forms of positive manipulation you might say it's a way of to make it easier for people to respond to whatever the objective is
1: can we call it motivation rather than manipulation maybe the word I think points. motivation yeah M- motivation. manipulation yeah, for, yeah. If, if some of my talks for example can i would um i would ask some of my students sometimes they would come along with me and I'll have them stand up in the Q&A time when I realized the Q&A question was just going all over the place. Yeah, so yeah. ask a question based on some kind of Aristotelian or Kantian philosophy um, or uh, a question that would probe to the heart of the, the, the objection I was talking about. And I would plant that person in the audience to do that in advance um, so that after he'd ask the question and then the doors open for others to jump in. I thought in, in some sense I was feeling guilty about that manipulation part of it but at the same time i wanted to motivate them so that they yeah. that balancing act
2: you're, you're helping them move forward i i used to have a horse that wouldn't go anywhere and then you just put a big old stick out and the carrot on the stick in front of him and he would walk along and i could have my ride
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and that actually works yeah. oh it did of, yeah? I'm, I'm not <laughs> kidding you yeah kate kate was the name of the horse is yep. that
3: right
1: Wow. Okay, that's amazing.
2: And then later, she'd gallop full speed and then come to a dead stop, and I'd end up on the road in front of her.
1: Ouch. I'm just thinking of the Christopher Reeve example there. Okay. Uh, All right. If we started today to take seriously some of the things you're telling us, how would our presentations be different in 30, 90 days or a year if we started to start honing them and focusing on this thing that you call the objective, which so many of us, especially in the academia, seem to... Uh, skip or have too many of?
3: We'd find our audience more interested.
2: Our presentations would be shorter and more to the point. There would be more time for questions. Hmm. We would be more confident in our presentation because we would know exactly what we're trying to accomplish and how we're going to get there. Um, And we would see people taking action, buying product, accepting philosophies, uh, or at least being willing to think deeper uh, into uh, what those philosophies might be, Um, all of those things would be true. I think what we have learned to lean on is the comment of a student or, uh, in the case of a preacher, a congregation member, in the case of a a speaker, uh, someone in the audience, on the way out going, hey, that was a great speech. That means nothing. Often that means, excuse me, (laughs) I got to get to my car
3: hmm.
2: often it means I like you or there was something you said that's important what this goes back to the very first question you asked me why do you continue to do what you're doing because of the letters I get from the book I wrote fully alive from people who have decided to end their own lives and then found hope
3: hmm.
2: that's how it's different People begin to respond. People's lives are changed. There's nothing that a professor wants more, or at least doesn't realize they want until they're ending the end of their career. And some student comes in and says, in this moment, in this class, I got it. And it changed my life.
1: It makes all the difference, doesn't it? yeah. 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 It's life changing. That's, that's what happens. happens that's the, the biggest difference. difference. And I, I found that in my experience too. When I get these letters, it just profoundly affects me to continue to moving forward. Especially when, right. you, when I'm feeling I'm not affecting anybody, I'm not touching anybody. Then I get this letter that just revolutionizes how I how I think. And I know God uses that in profound ways. Uh, Ken, this is not part of the questions here, but it just came to me as I was thinking about this. I know a lot of people who want to go into education or go into apologetics or go into fields of uh, Engaging in the academia. How would they know after a certain while that, look, I just don't have what it takes? Or um, I'm trying to have what it takes, but there are certain skills, uh, certain clues that are telling me maybe there's a different career for me. Um, uh, obvious clues are you're know, stumbling, not able to finish uh, sentence. Other than the obvious, Mm-hmm. Are there other things that you found in your experience with the SCORE conference and others that would help us to say, maybe I should consider a different path, or I need to
2: change something dramatic to shift yes. back? The two, two major things that come to my mind are these. First of all, that your students, your audience, whoever it might be, stop placing value on what you're doing. If they don't value it, in the case of an entrepreneur, that means they're not willing to pay for it. If I put something on the Internet, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a course, we have score on the Internet, and nobody responds to that, that says something to me. They don't value it. Mm-hmm. If, if the only way they'll take it is if it's free, uh, I have a substantial fee that I charge for my speaking,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I, I still know that I have to do this even as I move toward quote-unquote retreadment. Because I don't believe in retirement. I believe in retreading. And, and,
3: okay.
2: Yeah. But um, even as I move toward that, I know that I have to keep doing what I'm doing because people are still valuing that enough to pay that fee. And, and in my case, that's that's what determines that value. In the case of an educator, it's they know when the student is placing value on it. But there's another one. Hmm. The, the speaker, the the educator, the entrepreneur, the uh, whatever it might be, in his own heart, in her own heart, will know. You you will know. There's either a great satisfaction and fulfillment that comes out of what you're doing, even though you may not be doing it exactly as good as someone else Mm -hmm. or perfectly, and there is a great discomfort that comes when you know your, I think that this is a, a, a natural thing. I actually think, think it's a God thing—a great discomfort that comes when you're in a position where you are not um, impacting people the way you want to impact
3: people, and that's true of someone whether they're a faith-based person or not.
1: Right, right. Okay. So that inner mo, that inner drive, that inner motivation. And if you do have it, it's still there. Continue to hone it and improve it. That's right. And, and if, if you do have it, and it's still there
2: and, and um, then you continue to hone it so that it becomes more valuable to your students to your audience to your listeners
1: well Ken this is okay this has been an amazing time uh, a lot of fascinating information uh, subliminal information we have to tap into and really think deeply about uh, I appreciate your time any uh, final words or final comments before we wrap up
2: uh, in the
1: landis plane
2: well I would love to um, to uh, have your listeners, and I don't know if this is inappropriate or not, but to come to our website, mm-hmm. uh, uh, kendavis.com, and see if there's some things there that might be of interest to them. Our book, Fully Alive, is probably the most impactful thing. They made a motion picture out of it. That's now on DVD. It went rather quickly to DVD. Uh, they were selling it right in the theater. Okay. But um, that, was a, that was a joke. So, yeah. <laughs> They're supposed to. I'm supposed to hear laughter on me the- <laughs> I didn't catch I thought you were serious. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, okay, okay. our materials and what we do are there, yeah. and if it hits a chord in people's lives, uh-huh. that's great. They can access that stuff there, and also if they ever want me to come and speak, that's available there. Okay. And uh, the score conference. Yes. I would love. Do you do show notes and stuff like that? I would I love to. Put, uh, have you get the information from our people here and, and uh, boy, it would be fun to have some of your listeners come to our SCORE conference.
1: We will put all that information on our show notes and make sure everyone has access to it.
2: And this is such a privilege being with you. I, I, uh, I love these kinds of discussions and I, and I hope that it made sense. As a philosopher, as, uh, you as a philosopher, uh, me being on your podcast is a little intimidating I, I hope it made sense and I hope I offered some uh, some uh, good content for your listeners
1: absolutely Ken absolutely and we do appreciate your time and uh, uh, I know you are a busy man with all the work that you're doing so thank you
3: again thank you